you one thing, they're not new to the wrestling world. People have known them forever. They had their minds set on getting to the fabulous ones. Let's look. Steve Kern. Yeah, here the moon dogs and heart. They're out here ripping the coats up. Dan and Steve coming after them. The bout had just started. The moon dogs tearing the coats of the fabulous ones up. Now they're beating on them with those big bones. Steve busted down there, Stan Lane over in front of the desk. Yeah, why don't you get these animals out of here? Dogs just pounding. They've already opened Steve Kern up. Referee Jerry Calhoun trying to get him separated for his trouble. He got belted. They're ripping away on the coat. Stan Lane's head busted up. It's Steve trying to fight his way back out, but they're getting clobbered. Here comes Bobby Frozen. Robert Reed. to the big beetleites on the wick sites. What is going on to all the ites, the left, the right, the dems, the repubs? You know, are you having midterm uh, phobias? Are you having that midterm anxieties? Are you having that midterm hangovers? Well, shame on you. I already told you, if you listen to the Infinite Fringe, if you listen to Billy Ray Valentine, he would have told you midterm elections presidential elections, any type of elections in the United States of America is just like professional wrestling, predetermined. We just don't know who the bookers are. Maybe the bookers are McConnell. Maybe the booker is Pelosi. Maybe the booker is McCarthy. Maybe the booker is Trump himself. Maybe the booker is Ron DeSantis. Who knows? But there is a booker out there that is controlling 
the midterm elections that is controlling the presidential elections that is controlling all the elections but again this is not a political show this is oh no 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 this is the most nostalgic podcast in the pod bean punditry it's the pwr it's the pro wrestling reflection podcast here at the pwr tonight with that podbean.com and i must introduce myself because i am vain like that my partner crunch said i look like yoda well, I'm trying to be a Jedi here. I'm trying to be Obi-Wan. I'm trying to be, you know, Anakin Skywalker right now. But you know what? I'm I'm more, I am Yoda type because I am magnanimous. I am stupendous. I am, most importantly, the glorious one. The only objective man in this IWC, YWC punditry. The only objective man in this political spectrum. Your friend of mine, the Professor Chabella Cruz. And I'm not here all alone. I'm here with my brother from another mother. The man with the iron stomach. The man who's the dumb dumb duo in its own. The conservative liberal. The liberal conservative. Mr. Wonderful. Dr. Freaking Stein himself. Yee! Tommy Wonder, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing good. <clears throat> I, uh kids are here today so i can't talk about what i did today but i did something i've never done before you ever hear when's the last time you did something for the first time the older we get it's mm-hmm. less and less right right because like i mean you might say oh the last time i did something for the first time was this dude in my dms the first time i did him that might be your answer to it right but no my my saying is every time is like the first time that's why you get oh. you enjoy it over and over again but you're but go ahead but you're not you're not denying the dude in the dm that's what i, I didn't say that that's happening i'm just saying <laughs> i have a different saying i have a different it. saying every time it's like the first time but go ahead i get you but let's just say today's a special day for a specific pop artist uh, uh, early release for what they call ticks mm-hmm. and uh signed in at 10 a.m didn't get through till 150 something maybe no it was it was 230 something so four and a half hours my phone sat there waiting in queue and i just happened to look down and saw i was there and i successfully got woo. so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time in june it took you a couple of hours for richard marks god damn he's, no. he's that popular Richard Marks sends me tickets three weeks before they go on sale and ask me to make uh, sure other people show up. Gotcha. I, I, I'm no, sure it is, right? it's a certain female uh, artist that is yes. contr- that is part of the Illuminati that, that drinks children's bloods, but you are going to be one of the sheep that's going to be front row, but neither here nor there. No, not front row. Hell no. Well, either way, you're going to be the sheep that's I'm gonna be in the pit. To the roof. I'm going to be closer to the roof than her. Yeah, well, it's a matter he- of being there. Well, you know what? You, you are part of the sheep. You are part of the flock. And you will be anointed. But neither here nor there. Again, we're not talking about music. We're not talking about politics. We always talk about the stodger here. We always talk about the going back in the time machines in pro wrestling. And TW is holding a Cameron Grimes action figure. Is that a Funko or just a Mattel? Oh. What? It's oh. ring. I'm gonna do something I wasn't gonna do. I'm gonna open the window for you. Okay. Because normally it, you know, I don't open the, these things. But well, you open I, it up. Well, for the reflection I, on the audios, TW is opening the window section of his WWE Elite Collection, Cameron Grimes. Again, if this is uploaded by Eight Track Brown, the dirtiest of the city on the PWS or YouTube networks, he will show you this. 
we we implore you to check out the PWSL Networks on YouTube. Oh, that is a good uh, Cameron Grimes. He's got the million-dollar belt, the stash mm-hmm. of cash, the vest. Uh, my friend Sean Pyatt uh, ordered this for me, along with the British Bulldog that is on my wall already. Uh, he's mm-hmm. standing there with the flag open up like a cape. Um, right. But I opened his up because he opens all his. I don't. Mm-hmm. So this is going to go in my over here. Actually, I'll show you that one. I never showed you this one before. This is the only figure of this guy that I have. Also an exclusive to ringside. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa. Nice. It's where he came out for or, or games, maybe, where he wore that? I think that was that was the, no. I think that was a takeover. That was a isn't, takeover. Yeah, but isn't takeover war games? I don't know if he wore if he wore that for war games takeover. I think he was a takeover against Gargano. Oh, there you go. I was <laughs> I stand corrected. But. Yeah, I was mad because it didn't come with the belt. But what are you gonna do? He, but at war games, he wasn't the champ, so he go right. figure. Right. So right. it is what it is. Yeah. But neither here nor there. But anyway, welcome to the PWR Podcast. Reflectionites to the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the 99, the Terrific Ten. You know who you are. And this is a special rivalries edition. And, you know, for the Reflectionites, you might be saying, Professor, are you smoking crack? Because, again, when you do the greatest rivalries, you give us top tiers of greatest rivalry. So I'm going to say this to the, to the naysayers, to the detractors here. And even TW even looked at me saying I'm weird. I don't know why, but you know, you know, no, I give you transparency. No, 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 no. Before you, you will retort back, but I'm going to, I have the floor here and the reflectionites love the professor. They know the professor never lies to them. The professor always tells the truth, but neither here nor there. TW called me weird because I picked. For the greatest rivalries, the fabulous ones, and the Moondogs from Mid-South, from the Memphis Territory in 1983. So I'll say this to all the detractors. Is this one of the greatest rivalries ever in professional wrestling history? Well, that's debatable. That is subjective. Why I picked this is because I think the word comes to mind, TW, those two words that we always are synonymous for the PWR podcast, for the reflection, those two words that you know very near and dear to your heart. What is those two words? Untapped potential. Of course. That's why I picked this, because we've been talking about untapped potential things. So I, I figure, why not nestle in that term, untapped potential, for this rivalry? The Fabulous Ones, and the Moondogs. Again, people might say the Moondogs are not your top 10 tag team because you saw them every Saturday Saturday morning or every Saturday evening jobbing out to the Demolition, jobbing out to the Heart Foundation, jobbing out to the the British Bulldogs, jobbing out to the Killer Bees. And I give you that. I give you that reflection. I'm not even disputing that. But I always tell you, Go on YouTube. Go on Daily Motion. Do your due diligence. Do your homework and realize that there are territories out there in the country. And the Moondogs are one of the top ten teams of territory lore. TW, the Moondogs were multiple time Southern Tag Team Champions. They were part of the Jimmy Hart, Hart family stable. So this was a very important rivalry for the progression of a babyface tag team on the rise. 
Stan Lane and Steve Kern, the fabulous ones that were created by Jerry the King Laurel, that were created by Jackie Fargo of Memphis Lore, TW. So what say you? Tell them your side. You're going to retort back saying I'm not weird because you had you want to protect yourself because the lawyers tell you that. So go ahead. Retort. You are weird. You're just not weird for the reasons you think I said you were weird. Okay. And I told you why. You said, why am I weird? Because you kept sending and unsending things to me and then sent them. I can neither confirm or deny that kind of... I I can screenshot it and put it on the page because it says, Chabello unsent something. And I'm like, Mm. it was a dick pic. I know it. But anyways, uh, he was like, oops, wrong DM. But anyways, uh, it's everything. it's, It's So just for you 12 listening... Him putting me on the spot and getting me to say untapped potential is, is so ironic because the second I started watching the, the videos that Professor sent me, all I kept thinking is, holy shit, the Moondogs are untapped potential. Like, I, I knew for sure if I brought up nothing else, if I brought nothing else to the table tonight, it was going to be the fact that they were. So it's actually pretty awesome that that's why you picked them is because you were thinking the same thing. I think the fabulous ones are kind of untapped potential but i think the problem with them is is they were kind of like they were that magnum pi uh uh matt houston type of hunk if you will Mm -hmm. and and it really wasn't taking in wrestling because you already had magnum ta scott hall really didn't do much with that look people wait wait wait. to be fair this 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 rivalry happened in 1983 the, the the maturation, if you will, of Magnum TA didn't grow until a year or two later. So, but, but, but that's what I mean. That pretty boy look really wasn't wasn't exploding yet. Plus, mm-hmm. Magnum TA and Scott Hall were six foot five. These dudes are little, and and I've always felt like Steve Kern was he almost looked uh, creepy uncle ish versus mm-hmm. Stan Lane looked pretty boyish. Um, right. They did do the headshots and they had the bandanas on. They did kind of look enough alike that it didn't look so creepy with Steve Kern. But Steve Kern was balding. He was clearly older than Stan Lane. Uh, and Stan Lane, ironically enough, because I said it on a different podcast, I think we did a, a, a rivalries with the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan Lane here is nothing compared to what Stan Lane becomes. So that's why I don't say they're untapped potential because they both went on to do things pretty good and great. Not that mm-hmm. Skinner is in the Hall of Fame, but he went from being Skinner that most people remember, if not because of how bad it was, but people remember it. Uh, they also remember he was Doink, and they also remember he ran OVW or F- FCW um, before it moved to uh, Kentucky. Or, he has a no. he has a, he has a great resume, like you it was just the other said. Way around. Kentucky moved to there. He took it over, and then when they made it. Uh, and they turned it into whatever. They moved it to Orlando, and he's not in right. Orlando. But but the but the Moon Dogs, man, like, and you just said it. It's eighty three. They're not quite as gory as the team I'm about to talk about, and I do have mm-hmm. props. Okay. Um, but they're almost untapped potential of Esk. of these guys, the, the sheep herders. Uh, and you look at them, and, mm-hmm. and one thing I never understood what the what the Moon Dogs were supposed to be. I think I figured out watching this. I think they were supposed to be like mountain men moonshiners, and they just mm-hmm. called them moon dogs because they're moonshine runners. Um, but the problem is that they didn't; their gimmick didn't match their the way they acted. They acted like just regular dogs, and they were Rex and Spot. 
uh, there was another one. I can't remember what the third one's name was, but uh, there was actually like five. I forget right, the no. names, so, but it was it, a, it was a family of the Moon Dogs. Right, uh, Reflectionites, Rex, Spot. I don't. I'm not gonna say Fido because uh, there was there was Chains really like Spike. Spike. It was Spike. Spike was a Moon Dog Spike or something like that. But Moon Dogs needed. Uh, a mouthpiece. Moon Dogs needed to be represented by somebody, and usually they were represented by the top heel manager. For the Moon Dogs, they were represented by the top heel manager of the Memphis area, and that's the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. So, TW, let's put it in this context because you held up props that maybe the audio reflectionites did not know, and it was the Sheep Herders. Funny enough, because of this rivalry here, the year before that, because, like I said, this tag team was created by Jerry Lawler, Jackie Fargo, Jerry Jarrett. And there's a reason for that because they saw the potential in, like, the teen heartthrob thing and with the explosion, if you will, Reflectionites, of MTV and cable TV with the, you know, people seeing the musicians. And, of course, you had to have that sex appeal. Fabulous Ones had sex appeal. What other tag team had sex appeal in the early 80s, Reflectionites? The Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson. So I'm not saying that who was first. I think Rock and Roll Express was first. But I'm just saying, but if Jerry Lawler says, I, I struck gold with Rock and Roll Express, I can strike gold again. And he made sure that the Fabulous Ones were in high-profile tag team situations. And just like you held, those, held up those props in 82 Reflection Nights, the Fabulous Ones earned street cred by handling the Sheep Herders. And now 83... Being, T.W., one of the top tag teams in the Southern Territory, the Moondogs is just another notch in the belt. What say you about that assessment? And then we'll talk about how this rivalry got uh, started. Uh, see, all that stuff back then, I mean, if you research it, then you're going to find out. But they all came out at the same time for me because I didn't start watching until 85. So by the time I'm seeing magazines, I don't know who's fucking been around longer, the the fabulous ones, the Rock and Roll Express, this, that, or the other thing. But I, I did always wonder why the fabulous ones never went anywhere, right? Like, really, the first time you see Stan Lane anywhere big is replacing Dennis Condry in the Midnight Express. Um, I don't even no, think no, 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 no. The, the first play, well, it, that depends on how much, uh, you know, with the cable TV, how much of a premium you have, because the first place that I knew about Stan Lane was actually with the AWA uh, action figure. They were there, and they were fighting the, the, the Road Wars. No, right. The Fabulous Ones, AWA yeah. figures, they were fighting the Road Wars. So I knew about them from there. I didn't know about the Memphis, though, but I knew about right. AWA. AWA was big enough. Well, it was the league, major league. So it says something. That I'm, just trying, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying where I saw them, and a lot of fans probably saw them with the AWA first. I knew Stanley, and then when he went to Matt with the Midnight Express, I was like, "That's a no-brainer. That's a great substitute right there." Right, it's the best version of the Midnight Express. But you, you always will say that. You have to remember, AWA was probably the last thing I discovered. I might have read about them in the magazines, but if I'm reading about AWA Mid South Continental, I thought Continental was on par with all of those things, right? So. If I'm reading world class, it, it's all hard. Of even, it's hard to even. No, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but Continental sometimes CWA Memphis. I, you don't even know what the fuck it is because they all right. roll up into one Mid South. You know UWF right. is Mid South, CWA is Mid South, but then you know they're well, all. I knew Mid South UWF because UWF they changed the name because Mid South sounds territorial, whereas Universal sounds 
world. No, I, I get um, you. I'm just, I'm just saying, but, but, it, but it's, so, it's funny me, with that. For me, I'm watching WWE religiously. By 87, mm -hmm. I'm watching UWF every Sunday, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting like a piss-poor feed out of Ann Arbor, but I'm getting NWA Power Hour and then UWF replays, right? Mm -hmm. I still have not watched a second of AW Wrestling, AW Wrestling until it ends up on ESPN in, what, 89? Is when it ended up on ESPN every day at 4 o'clock. Give, then, give I, or take. then I get a then I get a full on thing. But so for me, what I mean by those guys never taste touched the big time, and and it's because I knew WWE inside and out. And whenever I went to a relative's house, whether it be the Christmas party or whatever, I couldn't wait to turn on TBS to see WCW Saturday Night, or actually it was called World Champion Rest, World Championship Wrestling on Saturday Night. Um, mm -hmm. And you never saw those guys. Right? right, I saw the mm -hmm. fucking Moon Dogs lose every week, but but on mm -hmm. on USA on primetime wrestling, the Moon Dogs would go over sometimes. They would beat the Killer Bees, or they would beat the Young Stallions. They would beat so it, it might have been cheating, or might have been whatever. And ironically enough, I think on squash matches they didn't have a manager, but on those prime times it would be like Fuji was with them or somebody was with them that night. So it's almost like they were probably a fill-in for somebody else. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Fuji. It might have been like a Luscious Johnny Valley or so. Luscious Johnny Valley, somebody like mm -hmm. that. Uh, so they probably were fill-ins. But but again, I'm also naive enough back then that I don't even know what a fucking job guy is. And 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 I think it was Josh. He he tweeted out Tito Santana versus Mike Sharp. I still think that's one of the greatest matches of all time, and it was a squash match. But Tito didn't but, squash. But him. he showed you the proof. TNA right. Kupata, Josh Floberg, shout outs to you of, of always helping us out, giving us yeah. the evidence because yeah. TW has been going crazy for years. The Mandela effect. This is always what he's talked about, about this match, and you provided it to him. So, Strange, yes. TNA yes. Kupata, yes. Strange. Yes. But so, let, well, let's just, let me put it in this context here. Let, let's go back a little bit before we even talk about the first thing that we're going to say. Let's, let's give a little spotlight with the presentation of the Moondogs. We already know Rex and Spot. But again, you know, visually, jobbers are not visually, you can't, if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, TW, you won't forget what they look like. Their hair is bushy. They got right. beards off the yin-yang. They got torn up jeans. Sometimes they were barefoot. Sometimes they weren't. I think it depends on where you saw them. Sometimes, uh, I think in the, in the southern territories, they went with the barefoot to go with that, you know, country bumpkin kind of attitude but in wwe it was more refined more sports entertainer entertainment type so they were wearing those combat boots whatever you, the case may be but visually for the moondogs you knew who they were and they always had a big ass ribeye bone in their mouth either they wore it as a chain or they were put it in their mouth so let's say tw but the visual presentation of the Moondogs. Every, rest, rest every time the Bulldogs wrestled the Moondogs or the Bees wrestled the Moondogs or Powers and Roma, uh, every single babyface tag team that wrestled the Moondogs, I was afraid for them. Like, legit, their look was imposing. They were mm -hmm. stiff. These two matches that we're going to end up talking about in parts, they beat the shit out of each other in these two matches. All four of them. Right, like mm -hmm. Stan Lane, and how? What? What did? What did somebody say about? Uh, what was the recent re woman? Uh, Ember Moon. Mm -hmm. Somebody was like this. Dutch Mantel was like, "Good Lord, did that girl owe Ember Moon money?" 
because she beat her ass so bad. That's how I felt the entire match, uh, both matches with these guys. But I do have an update. Okay. And one of them's pretty damn funny to me. So you ready? Mm-hmm. Go the ahead. original Moondogs. Well, the original one from October 80 to 81, who's not who we're talking about now, is Moondog King. Mm-hmm. Then there was Moondog Rex, which is Randy Colley. He's October 80 to 86. And Moondog yeah. Spot is 81 to 80 to 96. And then 03 to 03. But Randy Colley is the one who was originally Smash, and all the fans recognized him and kept mm-hmm. calling him a Moondog. And he lost that spot and went back to being a Moondog. So, and then after that was Moondog Spike. He's from 87 to 91, 93. Moondog Cujo, April 92 to October 93. And then this is the one that made me laugh. Not only did it make me laugh because it's a stupid name, but also okay. the date. Well, Cujo's close. I'm laughing at that one. Okay. King, Rex, Spot, Spike, Cujo, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How about Moondog Greg Murray? (laughs) (laughs) You're joking, right? From January 24, 2021 to the present. He's a current Moondog. Oh, Lord. Greg Murray. I have to quote Jim Cornette. Lazy book. If you can't even give a moon dog, Greg Murray, at least a dog's name, I'll take Fido. I take Fido if you want. Well, when I wrestled, I and I, I'm sure I stole this from watching wrestling my whole life. Particularly Shawn Michaels did it, um, and I'm sure other guys did it. Mm -hmm. I would always give guys nicknames, especially if we were out ripping on each other in the ring. I would call somebody something else, and if I was a baby face, the fans would chant it. You know, mm-hmm. called him that or whatever. Like Skull Gans, I used to call Pop Cans. And right. so when he, he was the heel as a face, the crowd would call him Pop Cans. This dude, the second I met him and he told me his name was Moondog Greg Murray, I would have to compose myself from the laughter that came immediately. And then I would name him Moondog Grr. And then he could still keep the, G, the GR from Greg. And he would just be Moondog Grr. Because it's just as ridiculous. Oh, God. <laughs> dog girl. God damn. Oh, there's a picture of him. Nope. Oh, my God, there's more. There's Moon more Moondog? Moondog Rover. Moon okay, dog that's good. Baron. Baron. Buddy. Moondog oh, Bernard. Moondog Davis. Duke. Fido. There's a Fido. Oh, my uh, God. There's a Fifi. I'm hoping that's a, it was a girl. That's, yeah, there's yeah, Moondog Grizzly. Moondog Mange. Max Molson Moretti. How about Wolf? How about Moondog Mort, Wolf? Dog Nathan. Moondog Pongo. Moondog Puppy Love. Moondog Ravage. Another Rex. Rover mm-hmm. Runt. Another Spike. Splash. Splat. Spot. Another one. Wenzo and Moondog. My favorite. Moondog X. Jesus Christ. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for that soliloquy and the chronology of the Moondog family tree, which Greg Murray is going to like top it for me because I'll never forget that. And then TW, Reflection I says, Greg. That, that already that popped me. But anyway, let's, <laughs> let's go to the other side, TW, again with the visual of the fabulous ones. You said that they remind you of Magnum P.I. They remind you of Matt Houston. They remind you of the 80s hunk detectives. With the with the mustache, western the hairy, western type guys, west, with the hairy chest and all that stuff, and 
before we again reflect, as you know how we do, front to back, side to side. I, I don't need to validate what we do, but if you follow us, the 12 always follows us. So either way. But TW, before anything, the fab, again, like, like I said, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, Jackie Fargo pushed them to the moon, just like Cameron Grimes. But the, the moon actually had video promos. I didn't show you these, but the video promos uh, presenting the fabulous ones, you know, for a lot of hardcore Southerners, uh, TW, probably thought that they were gay. Because a lot of those video promos had them on bearskin rugs, butt-ass naked, next to each other like this. You know, and then they're playing, <laughs> well, like, music. I was still picturing wearing, the, the Moondogs, but you're talking about the Pabbas. No, no, I'm talking about the Pabbas. They, they, yeah. the, they had the black tux with no shirt. They had the, the, the bow tie. Again, they just had the black, the black jacket, TW, with the top hat. So, it, you know, Southern wrestling men... Wrestling fans that are in the male demographic would say it was very gay. So that's right. all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm trying to be as politically correct. But TW, it was a gay. We, it was a gayer version of the Fantastics. You could go with that, but the I, Fantastics you, were more Rock and Roll Express, Chippendale. Mm-hmm. Right. These dudes were like they were hardcore. Yeah. Right. But they were they were hardcore Chippendale. But again, you knew the the motivation for Jerry Lowell. You knew the motivation for Jerry Jerry and Mid South that the Fabulous Ones was gonna have that to that market with the Rock and Roll Express to get the female demographic demographic. But what say you TW? Because again, 80s tag teams, any organization had a plethora of the babyface, you know, they, they wanted the girl demographic. Even though that the female demographic wasn't 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 part of the analytics in the eighties, but what's the ETW about them tapping that market? It's a smart thing. Does it make women buy a ticket? No, but they'll they'll tell their boyfriend, they'll tell their husband to buy the ticket so they can see the fabulous ones. In my humble opinion. Well, what it was meant to do was it wasn't obviously the girls aren't going to know who the hell they are until they see them. What they were there for is when the girl got dragged along with the guy. And I was mm-hmm. a young guy whose girl came, and and you know what? It's it's weird. I I never really put two together, but uh, one of the reasons Bret Hart became my guy was when I was bringing my girl to wrestling shows in ninety two, ninety three, or ninety three, ninety four. She liked Bret, so it kind of made him stand out more to me, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you remember those shirts in the nineties where they were like black and white but then they hand drew the guy on there and then they would only have pink on it for Brett. Maybe Razor's was purple. Uh-huh. Sean's was red. So she had this Brett pink all over shirt. It was called. And that was in like 93, 92. And I was like, you know, I do really like that guy, but he was always a heel up until then. Uh-huh. By then he's not by then he's, you know, babyface singles push. But for me as a fan, he was the antagonist to bulldogs who were my favorite. But, but once she saw Brett, then she's like, hey, when's wrestling coming back? I want to go again. So the hope was these women would see the Fabulous Ones or the Rock and Roll Express. There there's still people today who will tell you, like, we we know what's the biggest pop in wrestling. Road Warrior Pop. Road Warrior Pop. And I, I think, you know, obviously Hogan, uh, Stone Cold's got a huge pop. Um, rock, a consistent basis pop, I mean, not just – but to me – the Razor Ramon and Ken Shamrock pops in the mid to nineties to late nineties, they're second to none. And I don't, you know, they were their own worst enemies. We talked about that in other episodes, but with the rock and roll express, 
the term they use is girl pop. Like mm-hmm. the road warrior pop is everyone. The rock and roll express is the girl pop where you swear you're at a new kids on the block concert. It's loud, mm-hmm. but it's also girl. It's not, it's me, you know? So it's, but, but there was, there are some who will tell you the rock and roll express are on par with one of the biggest pops of anybody ever. And consistently. Mm-hmm. And, and the fabulous so, ones got the girl pop. The Von right. Erics got the girl pop, especially girl pop. Carrie and Kevin Von Erich. They got the girl pop. So I get where yep. you go with that. So very, I agree with 100%. But that's the market. Again, it, there wasn't analytics, TW, to say we need to get the female demographic. But they were, you know, pushing the fabulous ones in that direction for the female audience. And, and again, for, for the fabulous ones, TW, being the, the, the pretty boys, did let me ask you this before we even talk about the matches here. The difference between the Fabulous Ones and the, and the Rock and Roll Express TW, but, you know, the, fa- the Rock and Roll Express take you on that roller coaster that you feel, like you said, you, you feel worried for them as, the, as right. the baby faces against those dreaded heels. Now, granted, the Fabulous Ones to me, you said they're small, but they're, they're stockier to me than the, the Rock and Roll Express. They look to oh, me like absolutely. they can so do you, no, 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 but, but, but again, but let me ask you that question. Do you think that the girls worried more, just as much more or less than what they would worry about with Ricky and Robert? I think it would be less. What say you, TW? Well, it depends because I think there's girls that like those little boy toy Ricky and Robert guys, and I think there's girls that like man, manly men, fantastic. I, but – I think I think it's an older woman that digs the Fantastics look or Fabulous Ones look, not okay. the young girl. The young girl probably thinks they're gross. You, you mean the I mean? old like, the old woman with the missing tooth and the you know? No, no. Well, that's who you probably fucking had had in the audience in the mid south. But I mean, like the thirty something year old chick who doesn't want a boy anymore. She wants a man. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the girls you're going to hear screaming for the Rock and Roll Express are teenage girls there with their family or wives or girlfriends or friends of the wife and girlfriend because she brought them along because they didn't want to come alone. And then I mm-hmm. think, I think especially with the Von Eriks, I think once they got a taste of it, even if they broke up with whatever guy brought them there, I think they kept coming because they all thought they had a shot with Carrie or Kevin, you know? And, right. but, but to answer your actual question, I think it would have been less involved for the fabulous ones. Cause I think it would have been, all the women would have liked Ricky and Robert, and a certain sect of them would have liked that type of heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think so, a younger girl would think they were gross. They were old, hairy men. You know, like, they're not pretty boys. I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying that to me, I think the visual to me, the Rock and Roll Express, whether you're young or old, I think you're more worried about them. Especially Ricky yes. Moore makes you worried. Yeah. But with the oh, fabulous well, one... Me, to, you meant size-wise. I thought yeah. you meant in general... Like their overall look. No, size-wise, yeah, they, they're definitely bigger. The the Fantastics are more the size of the Rock and Roll Express. Like even the the Rockers are twice the size of the Rock and Roll Express. That's why to mm-hmm. me they're the better version of them. They're far right. more athletic. They're mm-hmm. bigger. They have better builds. They have a better look, if you ask me. Um, and they did a lot of cooler shit. The right. Rocker, the Rock and Roll Express's best move, their most over move, is a double drop kick. Mm-hmm. That's not even that high off the ground. Like, it's it's you know they didn't they they were literally one hundred percent looks. Whereas right. to me, the Midnight Rockers 
Like Shawn Michaels was one of the first people I ever see do the moonsault off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Like a standing moonsault and land on his feet. Just did it to enter the ring. He's one of the first guys to do it. And you're just like, whoa. You know, like, what's this? And then, you know, like I said, Marty's no slouch. Marty just has to be the butt end of the joke. But I don't think anybody thought he was the Marty of the Rockers when they were watching him. I think most right. people like both of them. But the but the biggest difference to me with the Fabulous Ones and the Fantastics and the Rockers and the Rock and Roll Express is the, fam- the Fabulous Ones are big. They're not right. like they're not doing like the. I'm not saying that they can't do drop kicks because Stanley can do a right. drop kick. But I'm just saying. But they 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 throw hands. They right. they're stiff and with they this brawl. they brawl they brawl and with this rivalry here T, uh, reflection nights and TW this proves it. Hands down that they, they they can handle their own. They handle their own against the Sheep Herders. They handle their own against the Moondogs. And they handle their own against the Road Warriors. So with that being said, TW, let's talk about the first video that I sent you. The start, you could say, of this quote-unquote blood feud between the Fabulous Ones and the Moondogs. And again, we have to give props where props to do, TW. Again, because it's it's a lost, I guess I, I have to call it a lost start. Because again, AEW ain't doing it. And WWE can't really do it on a Monday or a Friday with SmackDown TW. But with the Saturday studio shows, very intimate. You know, you get the same fans you know, week in and week out. And, of course, when it came to Mid-South, when it came to CWA, this was live, 9 o'clock in the morning, TW. So you had a core audience that, you know, you woke up, you got your cereal, and you put the channel on to watch Memphis wrestling on a on a regular basis for decades. And with that being said, in 1983, TW, the Moon Dogs and Jimmy Hart went after the Fabulous Ones, and the video wasn't that long. TW was about a minute or two the most. It was just them pummeling the shit out of the Fabulous Ones, and of course, the ambiance of doing that in in the studio. You knew why they were doing it. It was because Eventually, Reflection Nights, anything that happened in the studios of, I forget what, what channel it was, but the Memphis Studios Reflection Nights resulted in they were going to fight on a Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum in front of 10,000 people. You did everything, TW, to promote Mid-South Coliseum Monday wrestling. And this, to me, TW is the benchmark to start something big. This might not have been the main event of a Mid-South card, but it was damn near close to the top of the card that you wanted to see this match. What's the ATW about the first introduction of this feud? The, 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 the very first thing, I think it was like a minute and 21 or a minute and 29 seconds. I was very happy about it. Um, <laughs> the thing that made me laugh is Stan and Steve are wrestling. They're beating a couple job guys. And over mm. in the corner... You see Mickey or Jimmy Hart egging them on, and they're just ripping their fucking ring jackets to shit, just tearing them to pieces. And I kept thinking, man, I wonder if those were like, like just like garbage jackets they wore to the ring, hoping nobody would notice, or did they mm-hmm. really rip up one of their good jackets? Because you know, guys used to play, buy their own gear back then. You know, it wasn't no budget for the for new gear. Like you know, trying to be bad you had that in his contract. By the way, he got five thousand dollars a month for gear. Mm. That wasn't even part of his contract. That was on top of it. So, anyways, and then the rock and roll, or rock and roll, the fabulous ones get out of the ring like, "Hey, motherfucker, those are my jackets." And they come over the next. No, they're both just beat. And Steve, Steve Kerr got his ass beat. This dude 
gives Ricky Morton a run for his money. I'm going to skip ahead here because I don't want to forget to talk about this. It's, okay. it's the first match. This at least there, we watched two videos, people. This one where they set it up. The second video is the fabulous ones attacking the Moon Dogs after they beat a the guys, the squash the guys. One of them I thought was Butch Reed, but it wasn't Butch Reed. Uh, and this led to the match. The the there's a point where they're choking Steve Kern with his jacket, the one I just said they were ripping his shit, mm-hmm. and he does like a crab walk with his feet, and the Moon Dogs like the fuck are you doing? And he he's like walking him by his throat with this thing. The around his neck, the you know what I'm talking about where he had the mm-hmm. jacket around his neck and he's sliding across the floor. I'm like, it kind of it, it might be a little BDSM, you could say. You know, he was trying to be like, a, you know, he was taking his but orders if, but from his you, master. If you don't know, you're thinking the moon dog is dragging him and you're thinking Daniel Bryan, Justin Roberts all over again, right? Like he's killing him with the thing around his neck. But if you mm-hmm. watch, it's all Steve Kern moving his feet and dragging. The moon dog, who's holding the jacket by his neck, Cause, holding Steve, the jacket. Because Steve Kern, I think, wanted thought it was going to be a better effect. Where right. it, even it, if he's leading him, it made more sympathy. You got more empathy for the. Oh, I got it for me until I figured out it was him doing the bike pedaling with his feet, mm-hmm. and then the match that they have. I seen Macho Man get his head caught in the ropes a million times, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But he almost came out of it right away. Steve mm-hmm. Kern's neck is in between the middle and top rope for about five and a half minutes, and they're beating the shit out of him. And all I kept thinking is, that shit's ripping his ear off. There's no way that doesn't hurt. And Stan right. Lane's trying to get him out of it. The referee's trying to get him out of it. And when he finally gets out of it, I hope you watched what you sent me, Professor, because mm-hmm. when he finally gets out of it, it slingshots his head, and he goes flying to the floor because the momentum of getting his head out between the two ropes snaps his head out of it. And all I well, let me, me ask you this. I hope let that me, guy got more than a hot dog and a handshake that night. Let me, let me ask you that spot, per se, because you always talked about the ring. You know, whether, right. you know WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it, Reflectionites and TW, it's the most professional wrestling ring out there in the country. The Mid-South rings are not as professional, I think, because, again... They're not like, you know, it's not hygienic. They're outlaw I mean, rings, man. They're outlaw rings. So that, that's what I'm saying. What you're saying and what you saw, if that that couldn't happen in a WWF ring because I think it would be too – I don't think he would have – could have been so a here's boxer. here's a big difference. Here's okay. a big difference. Right. Ah, fuck. I don't know if it was a botch or if he knew it was going to fucking hurt and he just like, let's just do it. And But, dude, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, Stan Lane is going to have to pick him up and throw him back over the top rope to reverse the rope the way he right. went opposite. And the Al Snow said it to us when he first signed with WWE, the biggest difference between an indie ring, probably ECW, because uh, I think he did ECW before he went WWE, didn't he? No. no he was Shinobi and then went to ECW. So, mm-hmm. But what Al, Al used to do a springboard clothesline in the corner. Well, mm-hmm. In all these indie rings that we wrestle in, they're metal. They're actual cables, the top rope. So them motherfuckers hurt, man. When you get whipped into the rope, like when I first started training to wrestle and I got whipped into the ropes, I had bruises on my back from hitting them ropes. And obviously mm-hmm. the straighter the ring, the tighter the turnbuckle. The turnbuckle is actually that, 
that Bart, that metal piece, not the corner where the pad is. The turnbuckle mm-hmm. pad covers the end of where the turnbuckle is. The rope is weaved through it. So anyways, when Al first got to the WWE, he told us, he's like, it's crazy because they're actual ropes. They're like mm-hmm. twine ropes wrapped in tape. So this, it doesn't have the same spring that the indie wrestling rings have, right? So to this day, what, 25 years later, he told us this? When I watch guys like AJ Styles or um, even I think Sammy Zane saying stuff shit on the rope, like flipping on the rope or whatever. Um, not not to that degree, but I know what you're talking about. But it's more AJ, do, more the Young they, Bucks and stuff like that. They, they do that but, stuff. But there's a reason, and, and Al told us this, you ain't doing it in the middle of a WWE ring. That's why they're over closer to the corner. If mm. you ever notice AJ does that, that flying Superman punch from the corner, it's because the corner has more give than the middle because it's 20 feet and it's a, basically a sagging rope. Once you get, like, remember when Andre would step over the top rope? It just stayed down for him because mm-hmm. it didn't have the same kapoo like the damn metal ones. So I'm telling you, dude, when his head flipped over that, I don't think it was a botch. I think he was purposely getting his head stuck in there because it was the finish. Right. Unless he was trying to get his fucking arm caught and got his head instead. No, I'm just saying because maybe botch is kind of like a little disrespect. Maybe there is a plan to do that. But, again, with the the type of rings in the Mid-South area in comparison to WWE and maybe even comparison to NWA, but I think NWA falls in line with the Mid-South and falls in line with WWF. I think WWF is the most professional ring out there. So that's why I say – Maybe they plan to do that, but then again, the execution, and then you you probably are worried about Steve Kern, his head there. He could lose, he could lose his con, he could lose consciousness. Tw, he could just right, he just go like that. So you really need to like get him off of those ropes because they are cables. Reflection, that's there. what it is. So. Five, five fucking minutes. It felt like he was stuck Let, there. Let's go and back. When his to, head popped okay. out, dude. Mm-hmm. All ahead. I thought was, all right, everything I was fearing for that guy was justified the way his right. head shot out of them ropes. Well, let, let's go back to the first studio brawl where they got their asses whipped. Let's not forget, T.W., the visual, too, of the Moondogs, you know, beating them up, <laughs> taking their coats. But, again, they are beating the shit out of them with meat bones. They are using literal <laughs> rib meat, meat bones and meat hitting bones. them over the face. And, you know, again, I'm all, as a kid, T.W., it's, I'm almost like I'm the chairs didn't like pop, not pop me, but I wasn't, I didn't care about that. It was more natural. I think it was just natural to see a chair spot. I was more like, Oh my God, the meat bone hurt more than the chair. And I can't, I can't deny it. I'm just, you know, my innocence that, that the, that the rib bone, the meat bone is more vicious than a chair shot, T.W. What say you about using a rib bone and, and for the kids to almost cry? Maybe the Memphis kids were crying tears because their favorites, the feminist ones, were getting beat the shit out, you know, get their shit kicked in with meat bones. Dude, they were they were teeing off with the meat bones. <laughs> it was, and, 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 and over and over again, like it wasn't just like a pop. It was like, bam, get over here, bam, bam, bam. And I was just like, and that's why in the second one, the Fabulous ones attacked them, they beat the shit out of them with the meat bones, and then Steve Kern put it on like a necklace. So I thought mm-hmm. that was cool, a little, little comeuppance right there. But I, I want to say this. This is the other thing. You know, we're talking about 
their look, right? How different it is. You know, it's similar. You're going to put them in the same category as the Rock and Roll Express, but it's different. And I think as, as far as I remember back, I remember the Fabulous Ones being heels, but they weren't. But they they came off as heels in the magazines when I was reading them because they almost came off as narcissistic and conceited and, you know, full of themselves or whatever. And I think even when they fought the Road Warriors, I think it was when the Road Warriors were heels still. But mm -hmm. to a kid, the Road Warriors are the good guy. So I think that's what made me feel like they were bad guys. But then when you see them take on the Moondogs, you see them take on the Sheep Herders, it's pretty obvious who the baby faces are. Yeah, it's, well... It's, You're right because they look like they actually look like pimps. I'm just being right. honest. Right now. They, they they come off as sex god pimps uh, reflection. I said if you never looked at the the look of them because it you know the Rock and Roll Express don't look like pimps. They look like old. They look like golden boys, all American they golden look, boys. The Fantastic look like, like Chippendales. They, like they got sex trafficked. Whatever the case may be, but yeah, you but you feel empathy towards the Rock and Roll Express right, more than you right. feel empathy towards the Fabulous Ones. So right. doing th this spot legitimized the empathy part, legitimized us cheering for the Fabulous Ones. And again, you talked about them getting their kind of revenge and using the meatballs. So now let's focus in on that match. And again, in 83, TW, let's not forget. The Fabulous Ones were the AWA, I think it was the AWA, or let me just say CWA, Southern Tag Team Champions, because they were either the number one contenders to the NWA World Tag Team titles, but when the re relationship fizzled, then they moved to the AWA. So the Southern Tag Team titles were the See, number one. I don't one ever remember them in, in the NWA at all. Well, again, like I said, I'm trying to get you. Before my logistics. time, though. Right. No, it's before my time. Jerry Lawler always... Before he chased and got to Nick Bockwinkle, he was chasing Ric Flair in the NWA belt first. But then the relationship fizzled out, and that's why Jerry Lawler transferred over to the AWA side. But I'm just giving credence, TW, to the relationships that they had. So, but the Southern Tag Team titles were the number one contenders to either the NWA or the AWA title, depending on when the relationship you know, manifested itself. So, again, TW... The Moondogs are number one contenders and former AWA Southern Tag Team. I keep saying AWA. CWA Southern Tag Team Champions. So they kind of met, you know, they, they kind of did the 50-50 booking because they weren't long. You know, they beat the Fabulous Ones for it, and then the Fabulous Ones got their revenge back. So let's focus in. You already talked about the spot of the, the ropes in this 1983 classic, if you will. So let's hone in on the stylings, if you will, TW, because, again, I call this a blood feud. In the, blood wasn't drawn to a degree. It wasn't like both of them were all four were crimson red. If there was in a steel cage, yeah, I would say it would be a blood feud. But, again, they were beating the snot out of each other. They used that. You know, like you said, this was like two TWs and two Travis Bolts fighting each other <laughs> and giving the stiff potato shots, TW. So, again... Explain to the Reflectionites what is said backstage. You know, is there an agreement between these four to say, let's lay it on each other. Let's make it look real. Let's give the people what they want. Because, again, for the Fabulous Ones, again, the image of them looking like sex symbols, like you said, narcissistic sex symbols, sex gods for the ladies. You know, they're trying to earn the respect, if you will, of the male audience, especially the rabid southern male fans who probably, you know, they, they're ugly, they got missing teeth, they're jealous of them already. Like you said, they're probably heels in those men's eyes. 
but with these matches that they had with the sheep herders, with these with this match that you saw with Steve Kern getting his neck in the in the in the vice grip of the ropes, the male audience side at least could say, I don't like them I don't like them near my woman, but I respect them as wrestlers. What say to you about them trying to earn that respect with the getting those soup bones? There is not a single spot in this damn wrestling match. There's not, there's not a drop kick, there's not a suplex. It is just a brawl. And it's funny because I think both matches you sent me, this one said stretcher match, but it ended up, it wasn't a stretcher match. It ended with Steve Kern being put on a stretcher, which was also hilarious. Terry Taylor mm-hmm. makes an appearance. Um, so it's referred to as that stretcher situation match. Um, but it was a, it was a anything goes match. And so was the second match where the, where they won. And it is a blood feud because the beginning that we watch is the attack of the jackets and then mm-hmm. them they left the fabulous ones bleeding mm-hmm. and the second match all four of them are bleeding so and it's not a cage match it's just anything goes there's not a tag no i'm just saying that because everybody says blood feud and then the visual is always you need a cage to make it right right legitimize all, the I, need, all I need is at some point they all bled and that happened in this feud so to right. me it's a blood feud it means they hate each other right and and i think who, who knows what was going on at the time you know we can sit here in hindsight and say you know there's probably people that doubted them both in in real life and in wrestling you know fan eyes like they're two pretty boys they're not tough no one walked away from this feud thinking steve kern and stan lane weren't tough they Mm -hmm. they held their own they laid down in the first match and and what i liked about it as i watched both of these matches this is what i liked (laughs) It, it there's not a lot of stuff that makes me go fuck i wish it was still like that right because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm smart enough to know if wrestling was still like that, there wouldn't be nobody listening to our podcast because it wouldn't be – it'd be the same as it was. It'd be a couple hundred people watching it wherever it was happening, and it wouldn't be what it is in real right. life, right? You, mm-hmm. had to pre- you had to pretty it up. You had to glam it up. You had to make it a show on top of the matches, right? I don't agree with a lot of guys. I think Bischoff's one who's not a fan of the matches. He's more a fan of the setup. Uh, I want to say Freddie Prince Jr. said that. I'm not. Because, like we talked about already, Tito and, and Mike Sharp, who in the fucking world would have thought those two would have a match that people would still be talking about, you know, 30 years later? No one. Because it was on Saturday this one, morning. This one. You still talk about it. But that's what it, I mean. it meant something to you, though. Right. So it's still and, something. And, and, and Bret Hart versus Bulldog at SummerSlam. And, and Randy Savage versus The Warrior at Mania. And Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. And what do they all have in common? Same with this Moondogs match. There was there was a story being told, but then you lived and you died by every move. There's a reason Steamboat Savage is considered the greatest match of all time by many. And if it's not that, the people don't think that is the greatest match of all time, which is not you or I because we're smart. Mm-hmm. They think it's Steamboat versus Flair in probably that third match that they had where it's the near falls. Every You, you didn't want it to end. And that's the thing. It was such a compelling story. It was such a, a rivalry, such an intense thing. And that's why I think, even though I'm about to dog the Moon Dogs and fa- Fabulous Ones, it wasn't wrestling. It was it was fucking ECW. No, it was it was just brawling, right? It was hardcore. And but 
it was also what people wanted to see at the time because people wanted to see the fabulous ones get their revenge. So it was, it was, it worked just like mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels coming back against triple H unsanctioned match. It had fucking Snorefest written all over it for me. It's probably one of my favorite matches between those two because it was all out. It was a story. You wanted Sean to win. You thought maybe he's going to lose because you don't really think he's back full time. And he just wanted one last good match. And he, and then Triple H was going to get the torch pass. And then Sean won. Or he might have lost. I don't even remember. That's the beauty of it. I don't even remember who won Wait, that match. Which one are you talking about? The 2002 SummerSlam match between him and... Where he wrestled in jeans. Yeah, he won. He did win. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was the happy ending. He thought it was over. But part of me thought he was going to lose because he was just passing towards hey, Triple H, right? He won the match, but he lost, the. you could say, the battle because Triple H got his comeuppance even right. after the, the match. But let me ask you. Let me let me let me ask you this because you like you said with these two matches we could condense these TW because they kind of like the same match. Mm-hmm. But visually, you you said it. There wasn't like a lot of headlocks, arm drags, and all this. This was soup bones, ten minutes, twenty minutes chairs, the ca- chairs, and all that stuff. So visually, the art, I, I, the, the art form. There's no art form to brawling, or am I wrong? No. Maybe you're wrong. You're wrong because only, but not like wrong and anybody would hold it against you you're wrong because this is why i said damn i wish it was still like this this is the one thing if it's a successful brawl okay do you know what you have to do for it to be a successful brawl and herein lies the art you have to make everybody in that fucking building think it's real and there are people to this day that do it and i hate to give them credit but dean ambrose dean ambrose wrestling somebody in a hate match and they don't wrestle; they fight. Like it's different. And they fight, and they go out. They go out right. to the crowd and then and, do and, the chair and spots and all that stuff. It makes people go. It makes people go. These two really don't like each other, and and that's the beauty of it. And and you asked the question. I'm going to answer it. I don't know if you ever actually sent the question to me because you were still talking. I cut you off. Travis and I never. Fuck no one. No one ever did I have a conversation with and go, hey man. Let's just lay into each other. We're still boys afterwards. It was just understood. Mm-hmm. And when I went out there and teed off on you, if someone actually said something to me in the back, like, damn, dude, you were stiff out there. And I go, yeah, because I like you. And and you be stiff right back next time, right? Like, I, I, I'm not stiff to guys I don't like because I don't want to have to have a conversation with them in the back about it afterwards mm-hmm. because I already don't like them. So if they come at me, then I'm going to just want to fight them. So I just I just went out there and I was professional, if you will. But my my thing was, and this is the conversation I would have, and I would think the Steve Stan and the Moondogs would have had the same conversation if they cared enough too. I would tell Steve Nixon. I would tell Rico Rodriguez. I would tell Jimmy V. I would tell Nate Matson. I would tell whoever I was wrestling that night, when we leave here tonight, we're going to be the match they're talking about. And we would shake hands and agree on it. And we, we would go out there. Someone just recently wrote, I think you changed the name of the page of the hustle page of the hustle forum or something, hustler forum, but, uh, hustle, hustle fandom. Somebody wrote on there, probably that fucking Jojo about stealing a match or something like that. You, you might've made the post, but then he wrote that every fucking guy on every show, they're one absolute agenda should be to go out there and steal the show. I don't give a fuck if they're the opening match. The second match is the one that really is the dud normally out of any, because the first match gets everybody popped, and then they're tired, and they're settling in their seats, and then by the third, fourth, and fifth match, they're all riled up again. But 
if you're not out there to steal the show, then you're in the wrong business. And I know it didn't work out for Steamboat, but it kind of did because Steamboat wouldn't have world champion on his resume if he would have stuck around the WWE unless he got the belt instead of Brett. But by then he would have been older, probably not going to go to him. He won that world title in 89 or 88, whatever year it was. So I think in hindsight, Steamboat stealing the show from Hogan actually helped his legacy, right? And mm-hmm. anybody else, I still think Warrior Savage stole the show at WrestleMania at eight, seven, whatever one that was. Um, you know, and obviously Sean and Razor stole the show at WrestleMania and SummerSlam when they probably weren't supposed to. But who cares? In the end, if you get your job taken from me, I don't, I don't think the I, well. I, I know where you're going with this, but I don't think the Fabulous Ones in the Moon Dogs were like the second match or the the opening match. So I think this no, was the no, top no, no, tier. No. Match before Jerry Lawler match, and this I'm created the, the that the, that heat. The moment. conversation would have been whatever the fuck it takes, right? Okay. If it means mm-hmm. eating that fucking soup bone, I'm eating the soup bone. It's, but I just think it's understood. With, with, with it being said, again, the art form of wrestling, like you said, the, the arm drag, you know, arm drags, headlocks, you know, pretty tip shit. ups, and what the pretty shit. You knew the bull, uh, the the moon couldn't pull it off, even taking that pretty shit. So this was basically all they could do to make it. And like you said, this is a memorable feud because I think the moon dogs gave the fabulous ones more street cred. Like they are tough son of a bitches. So the moon dogs did their job to put them over to a degree. Again, they traded off the the southern tag team titles, and the fabulous ones eventually. Uh, beat the Moondogs uh, Reflection Knights in a Loser Leaves Town match in 84. So this this feud lasted about nine months, TW. So and, and one of the worst culminate. promos ever. One of the worst <laughs> promos ever. Stan Lane told him, we're here to play. We're here to stay, not here to play, baby. And walked away. It was ter- and then Steve Kern wanted no part of talking. It was great. <laughs> well, Steve Steve Kern is no nonsense. He, he's very right. in your face. And he just says, I do my act. I do my talking with my fists. I do my talking with right. my actions. Stan Lane, you know, he tried to do the promos. That's why it worked better that he needed Jim Cornette in the Midnight right. Express because he didn't have to talk that much. So, TW, let's put this all in a bubble. What was Now, we, we talked about the first match. What about the second match that caught your eye or anything caught you? Because, again, both these matches are similar in, in style because, again, it's all about the soup bones. But again, the results are different for, for both the first match and the second match. Anything caught your eye in the second match that, that was different or the, the way? The, the second match, so the first match basically got stopped. They said they lost because Steve Kern couldn't continue because his fucking head was stuck in the rope. So mm-hmm. the, moon, the Moon Dogs almost leave that one unscathed. But this is why I know to tell you they did all bleed because when they're in the ring, Steve Kern does something to one of the Moondogs and Larry or Lance Russell, who, by the way, very underrated play-by-play commentary guy, uh, probably second only to Bob Cottle. And he goes, well, now the Moondogs are busted open, too, to go along with the fabulous ones because he's soup boning them. And, A, I think the second match, you, you, and this is why it was done the way it was done. The fabulous ones attacked him. They did, they brawled with him, they did whatever, and the Moondogs ended up getting the best of him because he got caught in the rope. The second match, it was like they hit a next level of sadism with the Fabulous Ones. They took everything the Moondogs had and more. 
and gave it back. And at a point where they probably could have won, uh, Stan Lane's on the outside of the ring beating up one Moondog, I think, and Kevin, or it's Kevin, Steve Kern grabs a chair and just starts beating the shit out of both of them. Like, he, did, he wasn't happy with just winning. He wanted revenge. And mm-hmm. so it, it basically was the first match was it made it to the second gear. The the third the second match went to full gear. <laughs> that was ah. unintended. <laughs> I I got that. I caught that. So hopefully the reflectionites caught that too. So that's why I just wanted to give the the visual reflectionites what the difference was again. And that me, was the loser leave town match or no? In eighty four, yeah, that that should that was the loser leave town match. And so it basically was the kitchen sink match. Whoever lost that match left with their head held high because they both gave it their all. And the mm-hmm. fabulous ones came out on top. Now when the Boondogs come back in six months or a year. All right, they're better now. You know what I mean? Like, cause they always come. Back. I, I, I think. Well, to a degree, the Moon Dogs kind of honored that loser lead town because they didn't come back until the '90s when they weren't really needed. I, I'm saying in the WWF. They came no, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to give you the, yeah. I'm just trying to give you the chronology because after that, Moon Dogs were more heavily WWF esque. And then I think they did NWA or WCW a little bit, but then they went back to the USWA again. But that's in the '90s, and then of course they got their cred back and their respectability back and all that stuff. So TW, let's close this out because again, there was only two matches. But again, you agree with me. This is untapped potential greatest rivalries. So what say you, TW, about what was gained by both teams here in your eyes? Because again. Not a lot of people respect the Moondogs, and maybe not a lot of people respect the Fabulous Ones because, of, like like you said, narcissistic, they look like pimps and all that stuff. So what say you, TW, for, to teach the fans visually, what did both of these teams gain in your eyes? Toughness, and, and probably don't judge book by his cover. You know, Dusty Rhodes music. It's the Fabulous Ones look like little pretty boys. I'll bet you there were people leaving there going, oh, shit, the Rock and Roll Express couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, right. like these guys are tougher than them. Rock and Roll Express would have been murdered, you know, if they were mm-hmm. even around yet. They, they were more 84, 85, weren't they, the Rock and Roll? I give it, again, the, the, the timeline is a little skewed in my heart, but it, right. they're close. But they missed each other, you could say. But, but your favorite word, tribal. Tribalism has, uh, has been around in wrestling since its inception. And of proof, proof of that is, when Hogan first goes to WCW, even in the 90s with the internet and everything being what it's being, cable TV, not internet, cable TV, they rejected him at first. And and then this is kind of worse. Ric Flair in 92 coming to WWE, people didn't know who the fuck he was. That's how pompous WWE fans were. It was They didn't even acknowledge anything else, but it wasn't because they didn't acknowledge it. It was just the northern uh, media, if you will, didn't cover it enough for them to know what it was. And mm-hmm. so uh, I believe... But we, we knew them because of the aftermatch. Right. We knew them because right. we, we, we followed it. We, our, our thirst for wrestling was insatiable. We weren't brand loyal. We just wanted good wrestling. And that's something I miss dearly because, you know, I don't watch East, AEW because I want it to fail. I don't watch it hoping I'm going to be bored out of my ass. I haven't watched a lot of wrestling lately. I've been watching NXT again, and I really am getting into it again. I do think they turned the corner. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I watch AEW, man, I want them to succeed. I want to be able to, at any point, 
turn on a wrestling show, and if I only got 10 minutes to watch one match, I want to be entertained by it, whatever fucking match it is. I don't care if it's a woman's match. I don't care if it's a tag match, singles match. Probably going to be bored out of my ass if it's a, a light heavyweight 205 live shit. That, that's, that's just stuff never appealed to me. You got, your, to me you, got your, you got your standards. Right. It's, and it's, it's so, part of nature. So back then, those Mid-South people, they hated NWA. They, but, but good, because it was they were booked to hate them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They hated them, but still bought tickets to go see them, hoping the Mid-South guy would beat the NWA guy. But... But I miss stuff like that because it, it's it, that's just long gone. Now it's like everything. The ter- territories had a lot of meaning. Sport, yeah, I mean, oh, I love basketball. Fuck hockey. I mean, there's that mentality too. Like, I, I, dude, I will cheer for a Detroit sports team, no matter what the fucking sport. If there's a girl cricket team, I'm like, go cricket team. My BFF Magoo is in the NCAA, the Ferris State Bulldogs are in the NCAA Division II tournament. They're on to the third round this week, and you're damn right I'm cheering them on. They're hey, a Michigan school, and my BFS on the team, so I'm cheering for it. So like, if you if you're kid. living in this if you're living in the city where you know you can have a team that could win baseball, basketball, hockey, and and all that all the major sports, you're a fan. I don't care as yeah, long as they're yeah. winning every title. You're a fan of that team. I don't think that, we have a chance at the Super Bowl, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and with that being said, we close on this greatest rivalries untapped potential edition here at the PWSL Networks at Podbeam.com. And so next week, TW, with the theme of Survivor Series coming cr- around the corner, TW, and with Thanksgiving coming around the corner to TW, I feel it's apropos, and I had to make sure about this, that we never talked about this, and surprisingly enough, we never did. We are going to go episodic, finally. It's been a while since we've gone episodic. But we are going to do Survivor Series 1998 Deadly Games. So, TW, just, oh, now you look at me. I know what that is. Well, that's where The Rock won the title, so that's all I'll, I'll, I'll give you with that. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, but at least, T.W., you can watch 1998 Survivor Series Deadly Games, and we will talk about that for the Thanksgiving edition of the PWR podcast here at the PWS Networks at Powerbeam.com. So, T.W., give out those socials so we can finally get out of here. All right. So, we got a new one that we've been leaving out, but we're going we're gonna to put it in. Um, so, you can catch us. Still skipping the one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I always tell you the Hami Media Group at Podbean.com, but also the Hami Media Group is at channelattitude.com. So check that out there as well. Our Twitter handle is at PW Reflection. Um, Big Ray, his Twitter, his Instagram, his grinder, his TikTok, all of them are at Big Ray Hernandez. Uh, my Instagram and one of my Twitters is at Tommy Wonder 19. My Snapchat is number wonder, Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. And then my other Twitter and my TikTok are at the Tommy Wonder. Uh, Big Vito in the well. You can find him at bigvitobrand.wixsite.com, patreon.com backslash the Big Vito brand. And just saw his, his tweet or Instagram. He was saying, well, it's feeling good again, back among the living. They're all having a good time together. God bless. That's good news. I, I tweeted to him. Good news to hear that. Um, and then dum dum doing an idiot. Just you know, you haven't lost patience yet. 
We'll be back soon, soon. But Ray, again, Big Ray posted one of my solo dumb dumb duo and idiots. Trey Brown was laughing at it from a year ago, two years ago. That was that was me. I just forwarded that was you. Yeah, that was oh, me. Ray posted it. You shared it a year later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So two we, years we, later. Yeah, we, we, I was just celebrating that that. Uh, that was Rick my first Pete. one. Yeah. So you you've never learned from the, that mistake. You'll still do it two years later, or maybe a year later. Listen, the second one, and I'm going to name drop, the fact that I got to do it with a, a four-time Stanley Cup champion, Kurt Maltby, number 18 of the Detroit Red Wings, huge fan of the team and the guy. The fact that I got to do it with him is the only reason I probably did the second one. Mm-hmm. But we're gearing up to do the third one because they put them out every year. And I'm not looking forward to doing it, man. I, I'll tell you, out of all the ones I've done, that one-ship challenge, uh, I don't know if you watched the video or just shared it, but I keep saying throughout that video, do, do not do this. Like, like I, I'm not the guy that suffers and goes. You, you right, ate a, you ate a chip and you ate Haagen-Dazs ice cream, so it meant meant some. It was really Fire. that bad. Yes. So it fucking hurt. And you can find me on my Twitter at pwsoprof. That's pwsoprof. And you can find this if it's uploaded by A Track Brown on the PWSO networks on the YouTube. Follow my brothers in arms, the man with the documents, the man that already. I keep telling y'all. He already knew who was going to win the midterms because it's predetermined. Because there are bookers behind the scenes that are electing these officials. You think your vote matters? Hell no, because we it's been predetermined just like Professor Rushing. Follow him. Billy Ray Valentine at Obi-Wan, you know me. And the king of the reactions, 8-Track Brown at the number 8, T-R-A-C Brown. And again, next week, T.W., we are going to do Survivor Series 1998, Deadly Games. And with that being said... I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful. Dum Dum doing idiot song. The Iron Stomach one. Yay! Tommy one is saying good night, and we'll see you next time here at the PWR podcast at the PWSNFC at Podbeam.com. Peace! Moondog. Grrr. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I ain't gonna forget that one. <laughs> <laughs>